We've been working through for the last couple weeks uh, this letter that Paul wrote to the people in Thessalonica of what we call First Thessalonians, and uh, we worked through chapter 1 and chapter 2, and today we're going to be in chapter 3. And uh, one of the things you're going to notice in this chapter, and, and really all throughout Scripture, are there are those, we could get a whiteboard out today and write down uh, those people in the Bible that we would characterize as brave, as courageous, as strong, as, as, as leaders, those that have persevered or endured through some of the, the hardest of circumstances. And as you read through chapter 3 today, uh, you'll find out that this church was an enduring church. They persevered through some tough times. When Paul came into town to preach the gospel, uh, while many uh, believed and put their trust in Jesus, there was a whole group of people that did not believe and came to a point where they actually wanted to kill Paul and Silas, and they ran them out of town. Uh, they had to leave in the middle of the night to get away. But I believe that they experienced uh, this, this perseverance and endurance for a very special reason. And when I think of today, maybe a people group or uh, those in our world today that I would uh, put in the, the category of brave, courageous, strong, enduring, uh, I often think of first responders, you know, those uh, EMT or police or fire, really all law enforcement, doctors and nurses that see some of the craziest of things. And while we try to stay away from that trouble, right, we try to stay away from those type of things, uh, our first responders run to them. And so this, this church was, was one that was strong and brave and courageous like a, like a first responder is today. Where did they get that? Uh, where did they get this attribute of, of courage and strength when half of their town is is trying to kill and wipe out Christianity, wants nothing to do with it, wants Paul gone, wants this Jesus movement gone, and yet they had courage to endure, and we know because of all the churches that Paul uh, you know, planted in the Bible, this was one of the strongest ones. So how did they get to that place? Well, I think one of the ways that they were able to get to this place was Paul modeled it to them. He was a guy that was strong, that was courageous, that was brave. And I want to read to you in 2 Corinthians 11, just to give you a whole picture of who this guy Paul actually is. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul, he gives uh, really a, a list of all the things, maybe his missionary journey list of things that he dealt with, uh, endured through, persevered through, and the list is crazy, and I want to read it to you. And, and I was reading it, I've read, the, I preached out of this specific text only, and as I read it again, I think, I don't know if I would be in ministry if just one of these things happened to me, let alone the list that I'm going to read to you. So listen to what Paul experienced. And I believe this is where it came from, that he modeled strength and endurance to this church. Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28, I've been flogged severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Is Paul just trying to get, us, to get our calculator out and figure out what that is? No, in, in Old Testament times, it was, it was uh, kind of a standard uh, that a man would die, it would be a death sentence, if they were beaten 40 times. Uh, so what Paul is saying is, I, I, I went all the way to the door of death. I was beaten five times to the door of death, 39 lashes, and he lived. Imagine that. He says, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, Three times I was shipwrecked. Anybody experience this as you serve ministry and ministry here at the church? Good. Nobody. I spent a night and a day at the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, 
in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Everywhere I went, imagine your heightened awareness when everywhere you go, you experience danger or it's lurking around the corner. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside this, all these external things that took place to me, I had some stuff going on in my heart and in my mind as well. And he says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He felt the weight of all the churches he was a part of, the churches he was leading, that they would succeed and that they would stand firm in the gospel. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, it goes on. It says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Uh, He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, I'm not going to take it away. Instead, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then here, listen to what Paul says. This is where we all need to get to. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in my insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. To which we all say, I don't delight in any of those. Anybody delight in difficulties and hardships and trials? None of us. For when I am weak, Paul says, I am strong. You go out to breakfast with Paul, you go out to lunch with Paul and say, hey, tell me a little bit about your ministry career. Wow, right? Second Corinthians 11, he went through he went through some stuff. And the fact that he was able to endure, the fact that he was able to persevere, I think we could all look at Paul's life and his ministry and say, this was a brave dude. This guy was courageous. This guy found his strength in the Lord. This guy was rooted in God's word. And this church, I believe one of the reasons they were able to, to maybe persevere and fight through some of the difficulties they experienced is because what Paul modeled, what Paul modeled to them. One of the reasons why this church was so strong, and if you missed it in chapter 1 and chapter 2, I mentioned it a few times, is because this church was, they were rooted in God's Word. It was the foundation for everything that they had, that everything that they were going through and everything that they were about to go through. That God's Word was their cornerstone. It was the thing that, that, they, that, they, that they rested upon. God's Word was everything to them. And I believe in this room today, and Anson prayed just a tad about it earlier, Uh, And I know I can, that all of us could use a little extra dose of strength and courage, uh, the idea of being brave, and the idea of being strong. And I think what you're going to see in chapter 3 today is this church, they lived it out, and there's going to be some examples for us to live by. How did they they stay rooted in God's Word? Well, chapter 1 said, in verse 6, it says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message. What message did they welcome? The gospel of Jesus Christ, right? They, mess- they welcomed God's word. They welcomed Paul's teaching. They didn't reject it. They didn't push it away. didn't go in one ear and out the other. They welcomed it in the midst of severe suffering. They knew when they welcomed it, they were going to experience suffering. With the joy given by the Holy Spirit, God's word was what they were grounded in. Chapter 2, it says, We also thank God continually because you received the word of God and you heard from us. You accepted it not as a human word. We didn't make this up. We didn't come into town to try to share our own theories. Uh, But rather, 
It's actually God's Word. It's the Word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So this church was focused on God's Word. They knew God's Word, and yet they were also obedient to God's Word. That's the piece we often miss, being obedient to God's Word. So let's jump in, and we're going to go into chapter 3 today, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time. We'll go through all 13 verses. Uh, But chapter 3, actually, this section starts back in chapter 2. Whenever they first wrote the Bible, there wasn't verses and there wasn't chapters and all this. So this goes together, chapter 2, verse 17. So I'm going to start there, and then we'll work our way uh, to to verse 2 in chapter 3. All right, so if you have your Bibles, great. If not, right up there on the screen. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought. Remember, they were ran out of town. They didn't forget about the church in Thessalonica. They often thought of it and remembered it. Uh, He says, in person, not out of thought. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come back and see you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope? Our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. Is it not you, Paul says? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3. So when we uh, could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy to you. So remember Acts 17, the very first week, it gives the background of this particular uh, Thessalonican letter and story. Uh, Paul went into town, they preached the gospel, they got ran out within a few weeks, out at night. They took off to Berea, which is about 45 miles uh, south, or actually west of of Thessalonica. And at this point, when he's writing the letter, they went another couple hundred miles south down to Athens, and that's where he's writing this letter. So Paul's, he's been doing some traveling, he's still teaching the gospel to anybody that will listen, but they were also at this point running for their lives. He's writing back to the church to encourage them. And he says, we wanted to come back. Remember, at the end of this chapter 2 and beginning of chapter 1, we wanted to come to you. We longed to come back to you. But Satan, you blocked us. Let me ask you a question. Can Satan block you? Can Satan block you? Can he cause trouble in your life? And it's a big resounding, nod your head, yes, he can do that. But why I think it's unwise to walk through life and every bad thing that comes your way, you blame it on Satan. Don't walk, that was Satan, that was Satan. That was, people think you're weird if you do that. I also think it's unwise to walk through life and think that, that Satan cannot cause trouble in your life. Paul knew it. What was the trouble exactly with Paul? Well, I think death was still looming. If he went back, uh, he was a known figure. Uh, they ran he and Silas out of town. Uh, but, but Paul knew that. He says, I wanted to come back, but the enemy was at work and blocked me from doing so. But I still wanted to know what was going on. So what does he say? We sent Timothy. Remember how I said Paul was brave? He'd do anything. Imagine Timothy in this moment. We sent Timothy to head back to a town where Paul just about died and had to experience something awful. We sent Timothy, who's our brother and co-worker, in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and to encourage you in your faith. So this is a few weeks after the riots. Paul's writing back to the church, and the church had begun. uh, God's word had been planted in them. Uh, He got ran out of town by a riot. He sends Timothy in. Timothy, by this time, had already came back and reported to Paul, here's everything that's going on in the church. 
And now Paul sits down and writes a letter back to them to encourage them and to cheer them on, to stand firm in faith. Paul was so concerned about these people. He didn't have Facebook to figure it out. What's going on back home, right? Or what's going on in Thessalonica? He didn't have the Thessalonica Tribune. He didn't have a paper. He didn't have a phone to call back. He couldn't ride into town because of death. But he could send somebody, somebody that could possibly go under the radar and hopefully would make it back, right? And so what they did was sent Timothy, who is our brother, he says, and our co-worker. What's co-worker mean here? Well, it means, in this sense, and a behind-the-scenes guy. So Paul, Timothy was able to slip in and slip out and, and really be, be unrecognized in this moment. But I want you to picture Timothy. We often, we can read right through this and forget Timothy's experience. Paul and Timothy, Silas, all hanging out in the room. And then Paul says, hey, Timothy, come here, i got a request of you. And he says, all right, Paul, what do you want me to do? And he says, remember that town that Silas and I just about died in a few weeks ago? They were going to kill us. I need you to go there. You ma- He's probably blood was gone from his face. Nervous as all get out. This behind-the-scenes guy is now getting thrusted out in the front to go and to do something specific. He's not a behind-the-scenes guy anymore. And what do they send him into town to do? Well, it says in the text, they send him in to strengthen and encourage the church in their faith. Timothy went in with a laser-focused mission, and it was to strengthen and to encourage the church in their faith. Paul had a great concern. He knew they were being persecuted, and he knew uh, that he needed to, someone or he himself to get back and to encourage, to encourage this church. Anybody ever heard the line that uh, you become who you're around uh, after a while? And that can be for the bad. You hang around people that gossip, complain, bicker, and just love to stew about all that stuff all the time. Uh, before long, you'll find yourself being like that, right? Um, it can be for the good as well. You hang out for the right people. Think of ministry specifically. Hang out with people that love God and are doing great things with, for God. And you jump in and, and come alongside them and help them do awesome things for God. All of a sudden, doors begin to open for you to do awesome things for God. That was Timothy's experience. He was with the right people, and he was doing the right thing. And finally, Paul looked at him and said, now, now is your moment. And you're going to go do something awesome for the kingdom of God. And that awesome thing is I'm going to send you in to strengthen and to encourage the church in their faith. Strengthen, what's these words, what do the words mean? Well, as defined in this particular passage, it's to establish or to set firm. I'm going to send you in to establish or to set firm. So what Paul's telling Timothy, you don't need to go in and teach anything new. Uh, you don't need to go in and, and share something you no know, radical and something revolutionary to this group. I want you to go in and to set firm, set firm uh, this idea that we already taught them about Jesus Christ. I want to set firm. I want to establish the gospel in their hearts. That's what Timothy went to do. And how was he going to do it? Well, to encourage, the Greek word is uh, parakaleo, and para means beside, and kaleo means to call one's name or to call. So the way I want you to go in to strengthen this church is you're going to do it by walking alongside these people and doing life with them. You don't need to go in and preach to them and yell from the mountaintops and do any of that stuff. I want you to go in, strengthen, to encourage the church. And the way you're going to make that happen is you're going to walk beside these people. And you're going to help them to stand firm. And you're going to help them to, to understand that the gospel is enough. 
Take E-N off of, off of encourage. What do you land with? Courage. Timothy's going in with the courage that God has, with all of his grace, has given Timothy. And he's walking into this community and he's pouring out his courage to this group of people that desperately needs it. It's a group that desperately needed strength. It's a group that def- desperately needed courage in their life. That when we encourage someone, we, we walk alongside them, as this passage talks about, and we pour our courage into, into them. How many of you in this room have had a timely word from somebody uh, where you were just not at a good place, but they strengthened you and encouraged you? They poured their courage into you, and you walked away from that. You walked away from that being filled, being filled. 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, I like to think it of the, uh, the idea of the biblical encouragement chapter, of understanding what biblical encouragement is truly, is truly all about. And the way you do that is by walking alongside someone through whatever they may be walking through, and you pour into them with strength and courage. This is what Timothy was sent to do, and he did it well with this particular, with this particular church. We know in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, that they received the message, they received the word uh, with great joy, even though there was uh, stuff going on all around them. Here's the deal. I think it's one of the things that helped them through difficult times. God's word, being rooted in God's word, the thing that helped them get through trials and difficult times. So I want to ask you a question today. Is, is, are, you on, are you in a trial? Or are you in a difficult time? And maybe a follow-up question with that is, are you staying rooted in God's Word? This is God's Word to you and to me. Are you picking it up and reading it? Are you hiding it in your heart? Are you memorizing it? Are you picking it up daily? I would encourage you to, if not every other day. Are you growing in your walk with Christ through God's God's Word? And you may say today, well, I'm not in a trial. I'm not in a a, a tough season. Um, That may be true, and praise God that you're not. Um, but this passage teaches us there's probably always one to come. So as we begin to hide God's Word in our hearts, we begin to grow, as we begin to understand God's Word and put our trust in it, when we hit that tough season, we're not thrown off center, but we are, we are concrete in our belief and in our trust that Jesus, Jesus is enough. And I believe this church in Thessalonica, the reason they endured, the reason they persevered, the reason they were brave is because God's Word was at the center of who of who they were. First Thessalonians 2, or 3, verse 2 and 3, we sent Timothy, he went in, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service, spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in the faith. And then he says it this way, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Trials are coming, and we don't want any of you to be thrown off center when they come, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. Paul says, myself, Silas, Timothy, the church, we are destined for trials. This is a brand new church, church plant. How many of you ever witnessed a church's slogan, um, Centerville Community Church, destined for trials? What if we put that on our sign out front? Come on in. We're, we're destined for trials in this place. I mean, but Paul, why did he say that? Well, because he wanted, he wanted them to live in reality. Uh, while we here today, and I don't knock any preacher or church, I think they're all trying to do God's work, um, we hear stuff like, the year of the harvest, and God's going to bless you, and, and uh, this is going to be your year, and everything's going to be great. The reality is, and I think Paul teaches it here, 
Everything's not always going to be great. Things may not change. Things may never be different. It may be a season of struggle for quite, for quite some time. And what Paul's reminding us of in this letter is, is we're, destined, we're destined for trials. And this church was strong because they weren't living in some... Paul even said, it, I didn't come to, to, to bring about flattery and, and, and deceit to you. I just want to be real. And I want to be honest about what could be next for you and for me. And the reason why I think this is so important for us to understand, for us not to share all that language, if this is your year and God's going to, you know, all that stuff, is because when that tough season comes, and you point back to your church and say, well, they said all these good things were going to happen. What's going on with this? Um, Does God not love me? Uh, We don't want you to ever be in that place. We want you to know trials and tribulations. Well, Jesus, if there's, Jesus promised a lot of things, and a lot of really good things, but he also promised we're going to experience trouble. John 16, verse 33, in this world you're going to have trouble, right? But take heart, I have overcome the world. So if you're in a trial today, um, I want you to know Jesus, he loves you so much. Um, But at the same time, this is not heaven. This is earth. And if John 16, 33 is correct, which I take it at its word, uh, in this world that we're going to experience some trouble and some tough times. So I don't know what season everybody's in here today. Um, You may be in a really, really good season. Uh, Praise God for that. Or you may be in a really, really tough season. I want to give you some good news and bad news with with both of them. Um, And they're fairly similar. The good news is that that seasons start and seasons come to an end. That's good news. Um, The bad news is that seasons also, they start and they come to an end. Here's the greatest news. doesn't matter what season you're in. You serve an unchanging God, one that can be trusted, one that loves you so much, and one that can help you, strengthen you, give you the power to overcome whatever season you're in in Christ Jesus. We learn that right in John 16, verse 33. So if you're in a good season, praise, praise your God in heaven. Thank him for that. Um, I'd also encourage you, if you're in a good season, go help somebody that's not in a good season because there'll be a day when you're not in a good season. Fill yourself with God's Word. Uh, Grow, understand God's Word. Uh, Memorize God's Word. Save some money. Build some great relationships. Become strengthened in your walk with Jesus. Encourage people. Be encouraged by God because there could be a day when this great season you're in is not a great season anymore. There could be others in the room where you're in a bad season, or at least you would define it that way. And my prayer and my belief is this too will come to pass. Keep clinging to God's word. Keep hanging on to what he teaches and what he tells us into his promises. Hold his hand and walk through it. And I promise you will find yourself on the other side better off. Uh, I read this quote a long time ago, um, but it's it's so true. that Trials are not accidents, they're appointments. That trials are not accidents, but appointments. When we experience a trial, it's not by accident. I don't think we're like... We fooled God and like, man, I did not know that was going to come upon that person. We don't, we have a God, our God never gets surprised that trials are truly appointments, that God can do something in the midst of a trial uh, that maybe he would not be able to do if we were not in that specific, in that specific trial. And listen to what James says. I remember we went through this a while back about trials. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Isn't that good news? You're in the midst of it, be filled with joy. Be happy about it. 
uh, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let, any, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking any thing. How in the world do you rejoice in the midst of a terrible circumstance or trial? You don't rejoice in the trial. You're not rejoicing in the bad situation you're in or circumstance. You're rejoicing that there's a God in heaven, as I said, that's unchanging. A God in heaven that's walking through it with you. A God in heaven that's not surprised by anything. A God in heaven that has your back. And a God in heaven that loves you so much. Uh, I know for my own life, often the, the time your heart is split open and, and, and really open to whatever God may have is in moments of trial, right? How many of you, like me, have never prayed harder than when you're in the midst of a trial or a loved one's in the hospital or something's going on in your life? You've never prayed harder in your life. Why? Because in the midst of a trial, there's something unique that our God does through, through, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us that he maybe would not be able to do if we were not in that trial. So while we don't wish trials upon anybody, uh, man, there could be an appointment from God for him to grow us and to teach us and to make us more like Jesus. So let me ask you a question. I believe this church, uh, Paul told them, hey, be ready. Trials and hardships are coming. Um, to ask ourselves a question, is there something coming for you? Something that you can see down the road that uh, this is a little bit questionable. I don't know what's, how this is all going to work out. And I would add this to it. If God's allowing you to see that right now, um, ask him how can I prepare for it better. And I say the second part, if there's something coming down the road and you can't see it, it is so foggy and you don't know what's next, I believe we serve a God when we're in Christ that will give us the strength and he'll let you know when you get there how to deal with it. He moves on in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6 and 9. Listen to the relationship between this church and Paul and Timothy. But Timothy has just now come to us from you. This was just, Paul, they, many would argue that Paul wrote this just a few weeks or, or really a short period of time after the riot started in Thessalonica. But Timothy has just now come to you from, uh, uh, to us from you and has brought uh, good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live, since you are standing firm in the faith. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Talk about deep friendships. Paul, Silas, Timothy, the church, they were, they were, they were a close-knit group. It was a group that loved each other. It was a strong bond. It, was it wasn't an acquaintance. They were family. And we talked a little bit about that last week. But I think one of the things that this chapter reminds us, just like they had these relationships, we need these relationships in our life. We need a community of believers around us. We need the local church to be around us. Some of you could give testimony in this moment that you've gone through horrendous times in your life, and it wasn't, if it wasn't for the church walking alongside with you, praying for you, helping you, encouraging you in that moment, you don't know how you would have gotten through that moment. There's power in community in the church. There's power in relationships in the church. On Monday, I was telling the staff that we started the, the meeting, I, I just say, I mean, we have, we have so, there's so many good people in this church. I mean, the, the list is, is just huge. There's hundreds of really, really, really good people. And I want you to know that and encourage you with that so that you can lean in a little bit. Build relationships. 
get to know people. Be a friend with people. Not just acquaintances, but true, but true friendships. And you don't have to build 20 of them, but build a few. Maybe that's with your group or with other people that you connect with. And I can't encourage you to, enough to do that. So for when you hit that tough season, you have that community. You have those relationships. You have those bonds that will walk through some of the darkest and toughest hours because you have taken and made the effort to build those relationships. I believe these strong relationships in the church in Thessalonica, their commitment to God's Word and understanding and being obedient to God's Word allowed them to walk, to walk through just some, some tough seasons uh, with joy and perseverance and really hope what we're going to see in in chapter 5 and even 2 Thessalonians. They were looking forward to heaven. I want to close with this. uh, There's a lot of things that Paul did for this church. There's a couple things I want to mention in closing because they fit with this chapter. One of the things that Paul did for this church is he wrote them a letter. Well, we know that because we're reading it, right? He wrote this letter uh, to the people in Thessalonica. Another thing we'll see at the end of this chapter in verse 10 through 13 is he, he prayed for this church earnestly. He prayed for this church earnestly. And uh, I don't often give out homework uh, on Sunday mornings. Most of you don't even like homework. But today, uh, I'm going to give you some homework. And some of you, this will be like, I already do that times 10. And others of you, this will be the first time you've done this in a really long time. And uh, I'm going to encourage us to do the two things that Paul did for Thessalonica to do it for someone else in this community. And I want you to write a letter, just a card, to three people this week, encouraging them. You may know what's going on in their life, and you can write just an encouraging thing to them. Maybe add a scripture to it if you want, if you don't have to. Letting them know you love them, and you pray for strength and courage in their life. And then also that you're praying for them. And then the second part, when you say, I'm praying for you, is that you actually do it after you pull your pen out of your hand from writing the note. And I can't encourage you. Imagine how many hundreds and hundreds of cards are going to go flying around this place for you taking the step, and for those of you that have not done this in a long time, it'll be weird, but just do it anyhow. Who cares if it's weird? It's the right thing to do. And write three notes this week, encouraging someone, um, lifting them up, letting them know that you're praying for them. In just a moment, we're going to take up our offering and sing a closing song, and uh, we can't thank you enough uh, for all those that are, we get to this moment, for all of you that already have given some 30 or 40% of you already gave this week sometime online. And, and uh, we view giving as, as just a part of who we are. Uh, we're called to be sacrificial givers. And it's an act of worship. And as we take up our offering, as you're singing worship, uh, you'll have an opportunity to worship God as well by your tithes and offerings. But as we close, I want you to stand with me. And it's going to be really weird passing the plate standing, but you can do it. We like change, right? Stand up. And we're going to close with verse 10 through 13, with crowd participation, uh, Paul's closing words here in this little chapter, because there's a lot of truth that I want us to grab a hold of and for us to be as a church. So let's read it. We're liturgical now. 1 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. 
May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Uh, we can read through 1 Thessalonians 3 and think, yeah, Timothy went back to town and, and there's not much there. There's a lot there. And God, I pray that we would be a church that strengthens relationships by staying in tune with you and being life-giving to the people around us. That we would encourage those around us by pouring the courage that you've instilled in us into other people's lives. God, that we'd be a church that earnestly prays, not for just this church, but for one another individually, for this community, for this world, to know Jesus Christ. Praying earnestly doesn't mean just prayer at dinner. It means it's daily, ongoing, continuous prayer. God, may we be May we be imitators of the church in Thessalonica. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.